This episode is brought to you by Adobe. Creative Cloud for Teams. Everything your team needs to work better together. Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. Welcome to part two of Design Your Life with Scott Dadich and Patrick Godfrey. How would someone apply these design planning principles to their own lives? I, I think if there's one thing I could say over you know, the time I've been doing this since I was a young cub in the world of advertising at Ogilvy and Mather, I've always thought there was nobility in sacrificing your body for the cause. Mm-hmm. And um, as I rapidly um, slide into my 50th birthday, which is showing up this summer, I, I still identify as a 17-year-old. That's a separate discussion. Oh, I know what you mean. Um, but as, as, I, as my uh, flesh prison ages, um, <laughs> I'm, finding, I'm finding that I, I find that, you know, there's no difference between the work and the personal anymore. Um, part of that is being an entrepreneur and starting a company and restarting a company mm-hmm. and not working for someone else anymore. Um, I feel like I work for the people who work for us, to be perfectly honest with you, those 70 brave souls. Um, but I have found that, you know, the all-nighters that used to be a badge of honor and the, you know, hard-charging way of going after things is not a sustainable model. And with a wife and a kid and all sorts of other things going on, I have found that there's a direct correlation between how I treat this flesh prison, as I called it, um, and how that manifests in the quality of the work product that we do and everything else. Um, so, you know, you find that balance um, and then you find that your values tend to shift over time. And that's certainly where I've gotten. You know, I don't need to be um, the mayor of every party anymore. Um, <laughs> we, um, as we pivoted from being Godfrey Q, my former firm, into being Godfrey Dadich, we had to let go of some of those let's just call them adolescent um, behaviors that we had as a firm um, when we became what we are now and became a little bit more serious. We don't need to shotgun beers anymore um, just to prove that we can. And there's a way to move that thing forward. So it's it's been a really interesting experience. I'm working as much as I ever have in my life, um, but I'm also living in a more balanced way. So it's interesting how those things are able to intersect and, and interrelate. Do you live in the Napa Valley? We have a home in the Sonoma Valley. Oh, Sonoma, sorry. Um, well, that, that's one of those big fights between Napa and Sonoma. Yeah. Um, so Sonoma is very laid back and agrarian, um, and Napa is very fancy and is all about expensive Cabernet Sauvignon. But uh, they're both pretty lovely. Mm. But yeah, we're we're up there whenever we can be, mostly because the weather in San Francisco in the summer just sucks in every mm. possible way. So that that must have been a big shift for you. I mean, it seems like everything happened at once for both of you, and for different reasons and i guess the question is like when did you decide it was like screw this let's just get together and make this thing happen this seems logical or did you sit down do you know whiteboard workshops and going how might this work should we be doing this what's at risk you know did you did you plan that out so i i think it was really that fall of 2016 where for me i know that i had uh, I, I had abstract to deliver to Netflix, and so we were we were finishing the show. And in final weeks of post, we had um, closed off on that issue with President Obama, and that had come out. And the election had just happened, and and sadly, uh, Trump was elected president. And there was sort of there's a, a lot going on both personally and in the states. And um, it was a moment of of 
a lot of reflection, and I felt like I had accomplished what I had set out to accomplish at Wired. And Patrick and I began talking about it that summer, actually, and getting more serious about the conversation that sort of started two years earlier about, well, what if that would be really fun to keep doing that? And, and if there were more projects like that. And he came back and validated that really there wasn't much more strategy work to, to be done at Wired. But we just saw the world in the same kind of ways. And so it became became a much more serious conversation through the fall. And it was actually uh, in December, um, as we re- raced up to the holidays, that the conversations got real, real, <laughs> very real, really real. Um, a dinner at Hillstones, I, I recall. That was uh, a big one. That was a big one. And it got down to, it was like December 23rd, 24th, uh, Patrick's wife, Lauren, and my wife, Amy, are, are as close as Patrick and I are. We 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 are family, and it was one of those conversations that had been had privately and between the four of us, and whether it made sense for us to go in and, and try and do this as a team. So it was, it really the, was it the wives' vision? They played a really big role. Yeah. Huge role. Um, Huge role. That's cool. It, it was something where there's a, a certain – very large consumer electronics organization that shall remain nameless for purposes of this recording <laughs> um, that had a very attractive job offer on the table for Scott. And Scott uh. kept saying to me, what do I do? And I kept saying, you take the offer. Um, and I said that about a dozen times. And it was only when I talked to Scott's wife, Amy, when it became clear, um, she said, he doesn't want to take it, Patrick, because this particular consumer electronics giant doesn't tend to look kindly upon people having outside interests. Um, so with him having a TV show and speaking events and being engaged in lots of other organizations, the idea was, okay, Scott's ready to move on from publishing. Having had President Obama guest edit an issue as sitting president and having doubled the size of the business, where do you go from there? Yeah, exactly. So it was on Christmas Eve 2016 where we decided to do it. And um, for my part, you know, I was calculating – different risk factors. The one risk factor I was really pushing off on, and this makes me sound a bit like Judas, was that I I wanted to get further away from advertising. Not anti-advertising. It's it's where I grew up. It gave me a great life. It's where I met my wife, a former creative director, now a jewelry designer, um, and love everything about the culture and, and what it meant to me and the creativity and what goes on. But it doesn't, you don't have to be a, a, a a real future theorist to understand that the future of advertising, meaning the sort of paid media model of interruptive advertising, the trend lines are all clear. It's going away forever. It's going away. And the media that are going to matter are going to be the ones that people pay for directly. And some media are reinventing themselves that way. Some are inventing new business models that way. Um, but when I was working with Scott and team and I realized they could publish 50 pieces a day, um, and that they had this really interesting journalistic approach to it. The more we talked about this model, it was everything that I was looking for to complete the transformation that I'd been trying to drive at my organization. So on December 24th, we made the decision. We spent the entire Christmas break working on this business idea and also a secret project for the Obama Foundation, mm-hmm. which was the video was great, but it ruined Christmas. Um, <laughs> and on January 3rd, we announced it to people internally. Wow. Um, we some people at my firm, it was their last day there because Scott was coming in to represent a whole new center of the circle for the creative function. And then on February 1, uh, 2017, we were in business. And we won our first client that day, which That's we right. took as a good omen. Wow. The Obama Foundation um, came back that day and said, hey, we want to do this work for you. Um, their mission had changed because November 9th was 
kind of a cold splash of water for everybody. Just to be really clear, we hate Trump. Um, <laughs> Quite clear. Just so maybe just we're on the apology tour right now. Yeah. Um, in fact, last time I was in Australia was the day that Trump hung up on Malcolm Turnbull. I was here that day. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he even start. made he made Turnbull popular, which is hard. Um, <laughs> oh, so that's a bit low. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it it was it was a big risk, but you know, our feeling was. We have these very cozy, very well compensated jobs, and we can ride the glide path down, or we can take the shot of adrenaline and do something new. And we knew immediately that taking the shot of adrenaline was the only way to go. So you you believed you guys very quickly over that Christmas period, you know, worked on a plan and announced to the staff, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks. Yeah, I went back into Wired on January third and and announced to ah. to my boss and to the team that I was going to be stepping down to, to launch the firm. And we put out a press release that day and um, put oh, up a little, little hanging around. No, well, I, I stuck around for the, the month and um, made sure the transition was in place and that the, the folks had been uh, alerted to how things were going to change. So it was, it was a lot. And uh, I don't regret a single bit of it though, because I had seen friends get, locked into jobs where it just becomes routine and over time less engaged and less interested in the work. And I just, yep. I'd, I'd much rather take the risk than, than to sort of fall into something that, that becomes rote. Well, but both of you disrupted the businesses that you were in, in a big way. Uh, I mean, imagine the fallout would have been pretty, it could have been quite huge for your business, for example, Patrick. Did, I mean, people, did you plan of what effect is this going to happen to the, everybody's in there, every single person in the business today? Yeah. I mean, it. And did you it care affected, or did you like, did you do everything possibly to kind of make sure it was done in a kind of a, you know, a nice way? Yeah. We, we, we know that. You don't have to answer that. We can edit this stuff, by the way, as, as you know. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, we, we know that our, as, as a business, our inventory goes up and down the elevator every day. Um, we never take that for granted and we treat people accordingly. Um, but at the end of the, of the day, when you want to make a big change, you want to do something different, you have to rip the Band-Aid off in order to get there. So I had to affect some people's lives very directly with the decision we were making. Other people were given the opportunity to opt out. Um, got a sage piece of advice from someone who's done a lot of entrepreneurial work. They said, look, there are going to be three kinds of people in your business when you make a change like this. One third of them are just going to get it immediately and add value. And they're going to be your stars. One third of them are going to be able to figure it out and they'll be able to come aboard and add value. And one third of them are never going to get it and they're just going to have to leave. Mm -hmm. And it sounded a little draconian to me, but it turned out to be almost exactly true. So we had to make a lot of changes. We had to talk all the clients through it. I mean, we were changing the name, the ownership, the direction. And, you know, to be clear, we're we're not anti-advertising. We are just building a firm that's more modern than the one we were in because advertising occupies a different role in the marketing mix than it did. Um, We still do advertising when it's the right thing to do. But we really opened the aperture of what we do so we could do more things. I think the best thing in, in the whole thing for me was that all of a sudden I was getting congratulated on the street for having created abstract when in fact I had nothing to do with it, but I'm more oh, than that happy. wasn't you. No, 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 oh, no, right. I got to take okay. credit for it. Um, I had <laughs> nothing to do with like, Scott. Uh, oh, that must hurt. That <laughs> no, must no, hurt. No. Scott aged five years and nine months <laughs> on that thing. And, um, and I, all I did was the victory lap. So that yeah. was just, that was a fantastic holiday present. It worked out well, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
No, that's, that's interesting that. I mean, it's like you want to make change happen. And when you feel something you know that's right to do, uh, when you, when, certainly when you employ people, you, you're obviously very mindful of the, the knock-on effect, the good and the bad. And even the, actually the good ones, you probably wanted to stay in the business. I mean, there probably would have been moments there where you go, actually, they're thinking, is this right for me, you know? It's kind of, you talked earlier when we met for a coffee around change management. And often when we work on brand projects, you can do so much in terms of kind of brand positioning, the values and the new look and feel and et cetera, and the toolkit they need to activate that brand, that change. But in, unless the, an organization does really embrace that and has the power internally or the ability internally to activate that, it can just really fall on um, deaf ears or you know be ineffective. Well, I think the thing that I had to learn, there are real skills there and they require practice and there are tools out there. And one of the decisions I was most happy with in the earliest time as editor at Wired was a friend of mine recommended that I speak to an executive coach, a woman named Anna McGrath. And I was going from managing 20 people um, effectively on my team at Condé Nast New York, even though I was working with all of the brands and, and working across an organization of 3,000 people, I had 20 direct reports and that went to 180. Wow, that's a lot. And from twenty to one hundred and eighty is is a direct report in in New York. Yeah, it was it was a group. No called, managers. Uh, no, we had managers, but in fact, I was responsible for a group of twenty people. Okay, so right. twenty One people. Report. No, I had a I had a few. I had about I had about six. I think. All right. But um, as they no more than four or five, I think. I, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, to go to one eighty. And a matrix organization, an organization with legacy operating structures and managerial issues, I just needed help, and I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so uh, Anna came in as my executive coach, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with her over the course of those four years and just build skills and, again, build um, – through repetition, through the hard work of it and making mistakes and to have her by my side through that process was, I found, absolutely essential. Um, and, it, and at the end of it, she ended up working with my whole leadership team at Wired. And so mm -hmm. we shared that vocabulary. We were able to build those skills together and, and work with sort of a common language and, and, and common set of actions in working with our collective teams. And so when Patrick and I decided to, to start Godfrey Dadich, uh, one of the earliest conversations I had with Patrick was, "We, I would love to introduce you to Anna. And I, this is by no means any knock on, on you or me or, or what we're doing together, but I kind of can't live without her. I kind of can't work without her. And I think uh, it was pretty early on when when we brought Anna in to, to help us out. And um, pretty quickly after that, she just became an essential part of the team, though not actually one of our partners or not one of the team members on staff, but was in the office just about once a week helping us with a, an onboarding issue or a, a question of management or something that Patrick and I needed to work out. And it wasn't too long after that that we asked her to join the firm. Yeah, we, we acquired, acquired her, company her company and her practice area, mm -hmm. which is now part of ours. And she also runs our HR practice and helps our team be excellent. That's but right. um, it's amaz Anna's amazing. She has sodium pentothal running through her veins. So she just, she, she can break it down <laughs> really quickly. Yeah, her, her bullshit detector is always highly tuned um, and really moves us to a better place. So we, we've turned that not only into a better team, but also a practice area for the organization because great strategy and great design 
is only great if the organization actually has the capacity and the aptitude to, to do something meaningful with it. If you design the perfect idea or the perfect object and they don't know what to do with it, have you really designed anything at all? Or have you done an exercise for your own gratification? I mean, I, you probably experienced the same thing. And too often that happens where it doesn't actually get activated the way you intended it to be. We've had clients, and I would say that with uh, the plural in mind, that couldn't actually accept or activate the work that we had done together because of the cultural issues, because of the rapidity of change or the delta between what they had been doing and what they had asked us to do. And the folks on those teams weren't weren't ready to to receive that work or to put it into action, and you know that became a real became a real uh, point for us that we we recognized that it was as much about their ability to process and accept the work as it was their ability to commission it. Yeah, well, and that's our biggest learning, our biggest pain, and our biggest learning from 2017 are the exact same thing, um, which is that editorial processes. Um, are not the same as advertising and marketing processes. Um, and I don't want to get into all the specifics there, but you really have to let go to let journalistic work happen, to chase down that idea, to follow the idea where it leads you, and then to write the story of that idea. And then only, and only then, to put art against that idea and to create the journalistic product, which is what a lot of brands want us to do. All of their marketing departments, however, are staffed by people who come from the tradition of marketing communications, advertising, and public relations. And it's a fundamentally different process. So we've had a lot of turbulence around that, um, leading to a couple client defections where ultimately it hurt, but it was the better thing for us because the process is so different. The, you know, It was one of those things where I had to step aside from all the process indoctrination I'd had for decades to watch the people that had joined um, with Scott. Uh, do what they do in following these stories down. And Scott had talked earlier about Rob Capps, the former editorial director of Wired, now a partner at Godfrey Dadich, or Dave O'Connor, the former vice president of media and entertainment at Radical Media, now our partner and president in our New York office running our entertainment practice. Um, and then another group of people, the cream of the crop from Wired, joined our firm. Um, it took a lot for someone as active and as involved and as opinionated as me to step a step away from that process and let them do their work. Um, so I, I, I could see what was going on with these clients who were having a hard time letting a new process and a process that they couldn't control in the same extremely finite way uh, take root. Um, so it's something where a lot of organizational change needs to happen before this model becomes the new model. Mm. And have you seen like – I mean, clients are, some clients are struggling to understand it as they would. Um, but are you seeing, like, you've got momentum in the business, you've got uh, plenty of clients kind of coming to you for what you guys do? Absolutely. And that's yeah. been the really gratifying thing, The both our ability to explain the work and what it is that we do as designers. And we call our, we all call ourselves designers in one way or another because we adhere to that practice of, of putting one decision in front of the other. So whether you're a producer or a filmmaker or, or actual graphic designer, you're creating those outcomes. And just through repetition and through solving problems and bumping our heads a few times, we've gotten better at it. And um, I think the, the pipeline and the conversations we're having, um, both with, our, with a new set of clients, um, with our existing clients, our ability to activate work for them and, and bring about results, really meaningful and sort of surprising results in certain cases has been really uh, very gratifying. And I think 
we're able to have conversations with folks I think that we probably didn't even anticipate when we when we conceived of the firm um, at levels I think that extend past uh, what we had what we had envisioned initially. So I, I found in 2018 the sort of amount and variety quite surprising and really really exciting. I noticed that looking on your website, you have I think like three case studies. I think. Hmm. You don't have. Looks like you're not doing anything. But one, I mean, one of the that's often often a successful. This is the what the 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 cobbler's children problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are re- not, not like Wired because obviously Wired was constantly creating content and it looked very visible. And and that is one of the issues that uh, we haven't been great about is um, uh, uh, creating for ourselves. But we are actually quite far along with our new website that we'll have quite a bit to look at. The other issue, though. Um, and I think this is always going to be the case with us. Some of our clients are quite secretive, and we can't talk about the work because they're inventing the future in some very interesting ways across AI and blockchain, machine learning, where the work is three to five years out, and uh, we're inventing the ways that, uh, or the clients are inventing the ways that we as human beings are going to interact with those technologies. So it's it's sort of hard, you know. Yeah, we, yeah. we won't be able to show that work for for quite some time. No, it's interesting because I mean, a lot of lot of um, creative organizations, uh, you know, naturally just aren't aren't necessarily good at putting you know, their own marketing together. They tend to be busy on the work. The work creates referrals, and they get work that way, uh, or awards, and all that kind of the old school way of doing things. Um, it's interesting because obviously you come from the publishing background where you know specifically who your target audience is. And what resonates with them, and how to communicate with them, and what you know, because you want to you want to keep them as a consumer, you want to increase the readership, etc. Um, do you apply the same tactics to your to, to your um, organization? Absolutely, and and I that's the, a huge advantage, obviously. And those audience, that audience development is absolutely critical, and understanding who those people are, and what they're seeking, and why they're seeking that information, ends up being a, a lot of what we do. Um, on the partner side, building building those mechanisms, but building those machines, whether it's on the media side or, or organic social development, and putting those stories in front of the right people. I think most of it has been our. Uh, you know, we still are in a lot of senses a startup, and so um, changing light bulbs and, and sweeping up at the end of the day ends up uh, taking as much precedence as getting the case study up uh, up on the site. So. We're, we're, we're making some progress, but still a, a, a good ways to go. I think it's really interesting, and, and this really speaks to optimism, but um, a, a huge hero of mine and someone who means everything in San Francisco for the advertising community is Jeff Goodby. Um, and Jeff, you know, will never be known as sort of like a digital stalwart, but, you know, he was one of the early people saying that, you know, anybody can put a message out there, but the messages that people want to listen to or the messages that actually attract the audience are the ones that are going to deliver outsized return. It was the idea of there being an egalitarian idea and we should value creativity because it delivers real value. And that's something that has been known in journalism for a long time because whatever media that you're attracted to, whether it's a magazine or a television network or a newspaper, they earn their audience every day by meeting their information needs and doing so in a way that makes them happy. Advertising for a really long time, there would be moments where the advertising was better than the media in which it appeared. That certainly happened. But as we all know, there was also just a lot of really 
shit advertising in the world um, where they're just shouting you down with a repetitive method. The whole idea of buy this many GRPs and repeat the message this often and you're going to yield this much in cash register receipts. But that model is giving way. And we're getting to a place where the brands and the organizations that want to get a message out into the world are going to have to attract the audience. Um, There's just no two ways about it. And that's really one of the fundamental things at the core of our firm. And that's why we find that the editorial and marketing practices actually fit together really neatly. The good news in all of this is people are reading more than they ever have because the world is changing so rapidly. They're just reading it in different places. And the more you attract people to that message and the more you make that message resonate with them, the better you're going to do. There, there's certainly a case to be made for the sad demise of newspapers and what the effects of the knock-on effects have been for journalism and everything else. But you know, the people who are the best at telling these stories in journalism, they're all still working. They just aren't working for newspapers anymore. Um, a lot of them are available and working for us, helping brands tell their stories more directly. Um, and it actually turns out to be a really cool thing. It's been a phenomenal uh, opportunity to kind of get together with you guys and hear about your your journey and uh, all that you've done in an incredibly short period of time. Um, not this interview, but in terms of your your um, <laughs> career path, it's just been incredible. I mean, you guys are out there in the world and, and the world's watching you. I mean, that must be intimidating at times, but also exciting to know that you, know, you have fans, you have people that are uh, have a lot of admiration around what you guys are doing, what you're achieving. When a, when a partnership happens uh, for all the right reasons and it really does um, create something quite phenomenal. Uh, so I want to you know, congratulate you guys on oh, what you've achieved sense. so far. But I mean, obviously what you got ahead of you is incredible. That means so much coming from you as someone oh. I've looked up to for so long and all that you've created in the world. You're an icon and, and a friend and it's been a blast to share. And from the teams, uh, they send their best and it's been just an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's oh, been sweet. a pleasure Thanks, and a privilege just to be able to meet you and to spend time talking to you is just fantastic. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to know more about how others have designed their lives, check out our website, designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. <laughs>